0: and happy friday thrilled to have you here fundraising academy which is a cause selling education model sponsors our ask and answer as our exclusive sponsor we are so thrilled to have their investment in the show oh look at me making errors as as we go here. Uh, Just one second, but if you have not noticed, we have Julia Patrick here, of course. Julia um, is joining us on a different platform today, so we're both switching roles. Um, But we are honored to have the continued support from all of our presenting sponsors. Those of you that are watching, you can see their logo on the screen. Those of you that might be tuning in and listening, we want to say thank you to Bloomerang, your part-time controller, Fundraising Academy, Nonprofit Nerd, American Nonprofit Academy, Staffing Boutique, Nonprofit Thought Leader, and the Nonprofit Atlas. These companies keep us going and growing. And Julia, I don't know if you've looked at our show deck or our calendar. We are booked through the middle of August. So we have got amazing guests coming on. Thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to AFP Icon. Those of you that um, might have missed the the green room chatter I was sharing that I'm wearing, this says, this is my fundraising shirt. And I picked it up at the AFP icon. And again, I thought, what a great compliment to Fundraising Academy. So I love it. You know, Jared, I've got to say, I have really, it's
1: been fun to watch you be so jazzed and so excited about this conference that you participated in. Um, You you did a lot of heavy lifting for the nonprofit show. It was really cool. But it's been really nice to see how this has moved forward.
0: So I just want to give you a shout out. Well, hey, I will take it. I received that. Thank you so very much. It has been a lot of fun. Um, As I mentioned, we are booked with guests through about August but all of our episodes, you can find them on Roku, YouTube, Fire TV, as well as Vimeo. And if you're a podcast listener like I am, that's how I start every single morning for myself. You can now tune in to the nonprofit show on wherever you stream your podcast. So go ahead and cue us on up so that you can put us in your ears, listen to us as you drive, all the good things. Um, so Julia, as you know, today is Friday, which means this is our. One and only dedicated show each yeah. and every week, thanks to Fundraising Academy, where we reserve the questions of our viewers, our listeners, our followers. They mm-hmm. send these questions in, and I'm pretty sure we have a Rolodex of them, if anyone still knows what a Rolodex is. <laughs> and um, and we share them. So with the role reversal today, I'm going to start by asking the questions. And Julia, you're going to be in the hot seat first. Oh, OK. <laughs> OK, here we go. So Harold in Brooklyn, New York, wants to know, is there a standard contract or form used for fiscal sponsorship agreements? Great question. So is it's there a, a standard contract or form? You know, Harold, it's kind
1: of a yes, but so this is the deal. If you are working with an organization that does fiscal sponsorship, let's say it's a community foundation or it's a larger umbrella nonprofit. Sometimes we call those the motherships. They will have their own standard agreement. And generally it's done as an MOU, a memo of understanding, and it lays out things such as, What is the percentage they charge? Because this is not going to be free. And most nonprofit fiscal relationships have a percentage that's charged coming in and a percentage that's charged going out. So let me explain that. If somebody makes a donation to your organization and it goes through fiscal sponsorship, it is not uncommon to see something like anywhere on the very low end a 2% that doesn't happen very often, but probably five to 9% charge of that money that the fiscal agent keeps. And then when you spend that money, you are charged again, another five, sometimes as much as 9%. So these things are, are memorialized. These things are set forth. So everybody knows what the working parameters are. So my advice to you is if you're not sure, then find out what, how long they've been using this, this document, you know, this MOU, and then have it reviewed by an, an attorney who works in the nonprofit sector. Jared yeah. and I talked about. Yeah. You can't like get like, no offense, but you can't hire like a patent attorney, patent attorneys, yay team. They're
0: great, but they don't do nonprofit work. Yeah. Yeah, great wow. feedback. And ironically, I recently met with a nonprofit attorney who's going to join us and talk about you know all of the policies that you need to safeguard your organization. But when it, when we look at the fiscal sponsorship. I wish I could find a 2%. Most of the ones I see are anywhere from 7% to 15%. So you're right. That's right there in the standard. Um, There are many, as as Julia mentioned, community organizations that provide this fiscal sponsorship. So they provide that umbrella organization, maybe even the fiduciary agents of the board that then oversee the program of your organization organization under their fiscal kind of umbrella, um, but there are also some national ones and we've had a guest on before, it's probably been 18 months or so, that talked specifically about, I think his name is Andrew Shulman, um, about f- fiscal sponsorship. So, take a look into that. That is all really good information uh, to know as you continue to navigate forward. I would absolutely have a contract. I was talking to this nonprofit oh, yeah. company about, you know, well, this organization is in partnership, but there's nothing in writing, which means there's really not a formalized partnership. So you want to make sure that you absolutely have that. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's really serious. And especially because, you know, there are costs associated with um, administrating grant, Uh, you know, uh, not just the the programming part, but the administration of how the funding is coming in and going out, there's there's some really dicey things. And so it's best to, even if you have to take a step back and kind of say, okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to think about this and look into it before we actually receive the money into uh, under this fiscal sponsorship. Because once it goes in, then the the machine starts, you know, working away and you can't really make a correction. So get that agreement up front and make sure you understand it, Harold, make sure you understand it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great, great feedback. And and Harold, best of luck. Nancy from New York, New New York question We are starting up a new nonprofit in our community that supports animal welfare. I am also new to the nonprofit sector and have been told that funders will not support new organizations. Generally, they want us to be in operation for three years. Is this true? Yeah, I mean, I would say absolutely. And, you
1: know, it's funny, Jarrett, because to me, this tags really well to that very first Um, question with the fiscal sponsorship, because I have seen organizations that go under an umbrella of another organization where they're fiscally sponsored. And then even though I think it's a little controversial, they can tag into the longevity or history or period of service of that umbrella organization. You
0: stole my thunder. (laughs) Sorry. That's what I was going to say. Absolutely. And I'm actually refrained from saying it earlier, which I'm not sure why maybe my intuition stepped in and said, hold off on that, on that additional response. Um, I actually do advise that Julia, that if there's an organization, because so many new founders think that grant writing is your solution to all yeah. your money worries. And it's not. In fact, not. most funders will not fund you until you have those first three years under your belt. You have evaluation metrics, you have success, you have Continuity, you have a rapport and reputation in the community, you've made connections. So for that three-year, four-year mark, I actually do advise that you work under a fiscal sponsorship because most founders start an organization like an Animal Welfare Fair or truly any, any um you know piece within the sector out of pure passion. Pure passion and not as much of the business knowledge or you know the hindsight of the fiduciary agents of the board. So, take advantage of that, learn from these organizations, partner with their other fiscal spart- pot- sponsors, <laughs> see how they are working, um what's working for them, learn from others in your peer. You know, I still think often of Rita Soronin, which oh, is um phenomenal wise wise woman with yeah. the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption and, you know, she is a key leader in that organization and she is key advocate for collaboration and sharing and dialogue and so i think it's a wonderful opportunity but i would absolutely say nancy you know you really do want to connect with other organizations strengthen your base so that when it becomes four years five years and maybe you're separate you have all the good, you know, roads and evaluation to share with the community and these funders that mm-hmm. you mean business. Right. You know, Jared, I'm going to share something with you that might seem a little
1: bizarre. But when I started um, the American Nonprofit Academy, you know, back in the day, I created the logo and I created it out of red for passion. Because that's exactly what I saw. I saw these nonprofit leaders that had so much passion and they were just so committed. And then they thought things were black and white. You know, I'm a good leader. I have a great mission. Everybody's going to fund me. But very quickly, they learned that there was a murkiness in a gray. And that's why there's a very faint gray band around our logo, because things are not black and white. And you can't run just on passion. You can't just run on that red. You've got to take the passion, the black and the white, the red, and you've got to take the gray and pull it all together. And I kind of feel like that's what these three years do. They help create a tenor and they kind of give you a patina to understand what it is that you need to be doing beyond your passion. Right,
0: right. It's hard. That's beautiful talking about your logo. I've I've never heard that. And I I think that's fascinating. Uh, So thanks for sharing that. The other thing I want to share with Nancy is to make sure you do some research in your community. There are many animal welfare organizations, and maybe instead of starting a new one, I I admire you for that and having that passion that runs so red, Um, you know, but take a look at your other welfare communities find out if there's a way you can serve within what currently exists to strengthen your community at large. So before you jump through hoops, um, I would actually encourage you to talk to as many other organizations in your community to find out how you might partner and band together. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I think that's really important. And it was something we,
1: we don't, I think we talk about this in the sector But we don't necessarily encourage it enough um, because it seems like we're, you know, kind of trying to bring somebody down. Well, I don't like with
0: Nancy, but there's a lot of work that goes into it. It is. Yeah.
1: Thank you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So best of luck, Nancy, truly. Um, Abel, Fort Worth, Texas. Do you think it is essential to only vote new board members on who have previous board experience? Our (laughs) nomination committee is thinking about setting this up as a requirement for any new board members. Wow. Okay. Julia, (laughs) what say you,
1: you know, so I would say, I would have said this person's name is Abel, but I don't know. So Abel Abel, um, I would say to you that the the guiding light for this question is predicated upon the knowledge that we have that there are 1.8 million registered, that's only the legit, nonprofits in our country. And if each one of those nonprofits have a minimum of eight to 10 board members, hello. That's a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. And these are people that are working or volunteering and they're doing this work pro bono after, you know, a long day at the office or on the job with their families, giving up time for their faith, their hobbies, everything else that we we know. So it's tough. And I think while you, it might look like, wow, that's great. We want to have, you know, only the best educated, trained up, ready to go day one board members. I don't know how realistic that is. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for me, Jared, I don't know what you think, but I feel like that could just be a constraint on uh, an organization that ultimately harms them in their development Mm -hmm. of new board members.
0: Well, I immediately think about what about diversity, equity, inclusion, and access, how are we engaging a younger demographic a marginalized community how are we bringing these individuals with us right and that's our responsibility with with privilege that i have as being a white woman uh that is my responsibility And there are so many ways in how you can build and strengthen your board. One way I love for this is really to create like a young advisory council. You don't have to use the word young, but it could be young in age, young in career, young in tenure, young in the nonprofit sector, young in your in your local community. Use that group. Coach them, mentor them, work with them so that they run a similar board within your organization, and then you can move when it's time, you know, for particular board development, you can move those individuals, but you're strengthening them and you're investing in your community and you're investing in these marginalized communities as well. That's my first thought. That is my first thought. Uh, There's so many organizations out there. YNPN is one of my favorite. That stands for Young Nonprofit Professional Network. It is national organization. So your community in Fort Worth, Texas, probably has a local YNPN. Highly recommend you uh, look into this organization because they are doing exactly this. They are developing, educating, and investing in our young nonprofit leaders. So, yeah, yeah, I really think that's, that's our onus. We've got to, we have to see it as our responsibility. I
1: love what you said. And and I think it's, it's a, um, it's a mindset of cultivation. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's not just like, who's the warm body that we can get in and get going and, and have them fundraise for us or write checks or whatever. We have to be looking out. You know, a lot of times we talk about that 10, 10, 10 rule. How do your decisions impact the next 10 weeks, 10 months, and 10 years? And and this is one of those areas. Um, making a hardline decision um that might seem like it's gonna have long-term benefits, I don't know. Abel,
0: I think you've got to not go on that path. Yeah. I, I would encourage your nomination committee to think differently. Yeah, absolutely. Name withheld. So they the word is out, Julia. The community knows how much you love this. So from Omaha, Nebraska, name withheld writes in, how do I get a handle on our nonprofits donor database? I am new to the development team and I do not trust the data. I could use some ideas on how to test what information we have. Wow. You know, Jared. You're, you have to take the lead on this because I okay. think
1: you know a lot about this. But first and foremost, I think it's really powerful to use that phrase trust the data.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, to me, Jarrett, that's, that's a talk about
0: mindset. That's something that you got to get behind. Well, why don't you is- trust it? you know data in data out clean data in clean data out (laughs) and so it's really important what has been you know put into your database database i am very protective of anyone's database i don't want everyone and their brother their sister their aunt their uncle to have access to it and so you know to really keep that clean data one of the things i would ask you to do name withheld is to truly run some queries and reports based off of donor segmentation who are your top 100 donors do a quality control check with the, the board the ceo whomever you think might know some of these individuals and really identify you know get some notes written down you might have to handwrite them you might have to type them into a document really just go through and quality control check some of these key points of your your donors and i would do that at various different levels your monthly donors your lapsed donors, right? Your your recurring donors um, and really do this for foundations and not just individuals, corporations, everyone. Do a spot check, you know, also feel free to call these individuals, not all of them because you won't have time, but call some of them, ask them for their origin story within the organization. What brought you to X, Y, and Z organization? I would love to hear your story. And hear it straight from the horse's mouth, and that is really, really important. So those are just a few things that I think you can do to truly spot check, and maybe even you know elevate the donor information that may currently reside in your CRM. I'm sure Bloomerang has some great tips on this as well, being a donor database themselves, because they integrate you know other databases. If you have been with a previous donor database. You want to migrate into another one. Bloomerang does this all day long and uh, they might have some, some insight as well. That's my two cents, Julia. What about you? You know, I I love what you said, because it seems to
1: me the bigger picture is actually use it and work it and see. And, and, and I love drill down to what, what's actually going on. The other thing that I would do name with help is I would march to the front of the line with whoever your provider is and say, look, I don't trust this data. What do you recommend given how you have, you know, manufactured this platform? I'm assuming they have a platform. I mean, if you're just working off a spreadsheet, then that's, you know, something else. But if you have um, some sort of software that you've, you've invested in, start with them because a lot of times they can look at, your, your, you know, work and say, well, first of all, we see some of these issues and you can automatically clean things up by doing this, this, or that. Um, so I would start in that way. And I also think too, a lot of times that we hear from development teams, Jarrett that it seems to me, they don't really understand how the software works. Yeah. And so they get frustrated and they're like, well, this is just ridiculous. This is a bad product. We got to get a new product versus saying, okay, how is it that we can be working with this product in a more efficient manner and, and, you know, make it work. And if it doesn't, then it doesn't, you have to move on to, you know, the marketplace, but it seems to me, you know, understand how this software is working for you because as we know, Jarrett, you know, there's so many different levels. You know, you start small and, and as it grows, and then you add in the number of people that are coming and going and, you know, manipulating this data. You started out with that great phrase, and that is protect the number of people that engage with this incredible resource. You know, you don't want everybody
0: going in there. You know, absolutely. And it brings to mind, and we've talked on this uh, before in previous episodes, that the longevity of a development professional is 16 to 19 months. So that itself, this person should be in the database. They should be in it all day long. It should be one okay. of the one of the windows that is open on their computer every single weekday. Uh-huh. <laughs> and. So just think of that natural turnover, you know, 16 to 19 months, that is a pattern name withheld that you really want to make sure, you know, that you clean up. And so I, I've done this where I sat down with a CEO and some of the board members and I said, okay, I have 25 names I'm going to go through right now. What can you tell me about these people? I captured it. I put it into the database. And then the next week I did 25 more, right? And it was from wow. that top 100 list. It's a lot of work. But it is so worth it. Yeah, that's a great strategy because you know if you identify
1: that this is what you're going to do, everybody get on board. Yeah, I, Jared, I think that's a great, great, great suggestion. And I say
0: this, I say this all the time. Put it in the database. Put it in the database. You know, oh, I had a meeting with so and so. Put it in the database. <laughs> It has got to be in there. Maybe that's what my next t-shirt will say. Put it in the database. (laughs) That would be. I love that. And we don't have much time here, but we do want to address Devonda's question, also from New York, New York. How long is the average maternity leave? I am thinking that our nonprofit would look more appealing to prospective candidates if we extended our leave. We currently offer six paid weeks. If they want to extend this, the pay rate drops per week. We are also looking at adding paternity leave as well. Interesting question.
1: Yeah. You know, I I don't know, Jarrett, what you think, but to me, this is more of an East Coast discussion. It seems like East Coast nonprofits are leaning in more to fraternity leave. That's great. We're not seeing that as much in the West. And I think that's something we need to change. Um, but wow, really interesting how you, you've got that six weeks that's protected. And then as you go, or if you need that, you then, um, shift that one thing. And you, you mentioned the brilliant Rita Sornan. She said to us that they are working, um, really hard to get a national recognition of maternity and paternity leave for adoptive families because now that does not exist. Right. And so imagine that, you know, imagine a family that is um, blended with, you know, an infant, a toddler, even a foster child. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a a critical time. And so I love that you're also looking at this as a way to be more
0: attractive to the marketplace. You know, I'm going to say this is a great HR question. My son is 11 now. I had six weeks and I was in South Carolina. So (sighs) That's probably the most recent than what Julia can share with you about her own maternity leave. <laughs> but oh, yeah, that, you know, so I, I'm so glad that you are looking at paternity as well. I also, as Julia said, want to echo the foster care leave, uh, that that's really, really important. And I would say this is a great HR question, but it also speaks, to Vonda truly to retaining your talent, not only to just attracting your talent, but retaining. So really great question. I love it. I
1: love it. You know, every Friday, I can't wait to see what comes in. I think that it really shows um, some intellect and some strategic
0: thinking by the questions that we get, Jarrett. Super cool. Yeah. And, you know, we've watched this since March of 2020, the shift of the questions, how the dialogue changes, you know, all from how do we go to Zoom? And oh, by the way, can you see me on the nonprofit show? Because I'm still in my pajamas and my bunny slippers, right? To now maternity paternity leave to attract that rock star talent in the workforce that is so desperately needed right now in our community across the nation.
1: Across the nation. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Really, important. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, thanks for all of you joining us here today. You know, it is a Friday dedicated to our ask and answer. So thank you, Julia, for nerding out with me. It's always a pleasure. Thank you also to Bloomerang, your part-time controller, Fundraising Academy, Nonprofit Nerd, American Nonprofit Academy, Staffing Boutique, Nonprofit Thought Leader, and the Nonprofit Atlas. These companies let us nerd out Monday through Friday. We are the only nation's live nonprofit webcast dedicated to you and your mission right alongside these sponsors. So thank you for being here, Julia. I'll let you take us out because it's a fry yay And we have two days to enjoy and relax in the sunshine.
1: That's right. And as we like to end every episode, we want to remind you, our viewers, and our listeners, as well as ourselves, stay well, (laughs) so you can do well. We'll see you back here on Monday, everyone.